I tell people I've gotten more hugs at probate closings than any other type of deal. And that is true. You're listening to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show, a podcast that discusses the intricacies of real estate investing with your host, Marcus E. Maloney. Marcus is a real estate investor best known for being the equity king. He's been awarded that moniker because he and his team find amazing real estate deals. He will be talking with investors who have done some transformational things in the real estate industry. They'll discuss their process, their strategies, and how their investments transform their lives and the communities they invest in. We welcome you to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show. Hello, guys, and welcome. And today we have Sharon Vorenholt from out of Louisville, Kentucky. Sharon is a previous 17-year uh, property manager, so she has a wealth of information in property management. Uh, she's a buy and hold and rehab investor, and she is the queen of probate. So with that being said, I don't want to take up too much time on an introduction because I'll let Sharon introduce herself. But Sharon, the queen of probate of Louisville, Kentucky, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Marcus. You know, I got named that by somebody. I I'm, I'm don't really think of myself as being the queen of anything. <laughs> Although I do love probates. But um, so uh, I got started. I had another business for 17 years, a home inspection company. And uh, during that time, about seven years into that business, I had a realtor friend of mine ask me uh, if I wanted to go to a RIA meeting. And I said, well, what's a RIA meeting? So uh, I went to one meeting, and after that, I've rarely missed a meeting for more than 20 years. But I, lo I love real estate, and uh, so I invested part-time for about 10 years, and then um, uh, then I made the move uh, in 2008, which we both know was the best of times and the worst of times, to close the other business and go full-time. So I've been uh, full-time for about 11 years now, but uh, it's like I told somebody the other day, you've just been, I've been around since like the beginning of time. <laughs> so let's, <laughs> let's talk about real quick, because I know a lot of people when they're going into entrepreneurship and they're looking at transitioning from a full-time job, nine to five. Well, yours was a nine to five. You were a property manager, so it was more like- yeah, I had a home inspection company. Oh, home inspection. inspection I'm sorry. Company. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, so going from the home inspection company to strictly real estate investing, did you have any fears? And if so, kind of what were those fears jumping out there into real estate investing? Well, you know, it's- it. I, so I was very much in the real estate world, as you know, being an agent with a home inspection company. So I knew a lot of agents- but I only knew, uh, initially, I only knew real estate from the retail side, and I had no visions of being a realtor, so, but it was, it was, yeah, it was scary opening not only one business, but then deciding to close. What I didn't know at the time was that I had built myself a job with that business. You know, a lot of small businesses, you build yourself a job. And once I, you know, but that, that does come with a paycheck, which you build into your job. So going to real estate full time, which we both know is very, very, uns can be very uncertain. Yeah, it was scary. But um, about the time I closed that business and decided to go full time, it things have been kind of sliding downward for a while, but they hadn't really hit rock bottom. And it just so happened that 
I closed that business and that was right about the time that real estate took a dive in, in Louisville, about two, 2008. So then it was like, okay, I've been doing, working a plan much like we talked about before the show where I would uh, buy a property and while I was rehabbing the property, I would sell it and then get some money and do a couple and then buy a rental house. So that was kind of the plan I was working and all of a sudden, nobody could get a loan. So I'm thinking, what am I going to do? I'm going to rehab this house. I'm going to be, you know, you get about a six month loan and then a one six month renewal on a construction loan. And then like, I'm going to be like out in left field. So that's when I decided, well, maybe I'll just try to wholesale this property. It's hard to believe looking back that I'd been in that business all that time and had never wholesaled a single property. And I called up an investor. I knew like yourself said, Hey, like Marcus, I got this property. You want to buy a property? Oh, heck yeah. Cause that guy still had a W2 job and I'm thinking, Oh boy, that was easy. What, yep. what has been wrong with me all these years? And that's really when I started wholesaling was out of need. I actually really did become an accidental wholesaler in 2008. And that's what I was going to ask you about being an accidental wholesaler, especially in the worst of times and the worst of markets. Um, that investor, how did you find that investor? Well, you remember that I had been in this business. Uh, so since 2000, uh, since 1998 was when I bought my, went to my first RIA meeting and bought my first house that year. So this was 10 years down the road and I had, I was a regular at my RIA meeting. So I knew who was an actual investor and you know, there's a lot of people say they're investors, but don't have the capital. But I also knew that what I needed was someone with a W2 income and I knew who those people were. So uh, my best buyers were uh, either they had uh, corporate jobs like a GE or I had one gal that bought a lot of properties from me and her husband was an architect. He had W2 income. And then I was very lucky. I had a guy that wrote checks. So <laughs> one of those, but I, I used the same four or five buyers over and over and over. And uh, it, it was having the knowledge that is you, nobody could get a loan except somebody that had a W2 income. That mm -hmm. was the secret. So Today, I would say if you're worried about the market, you can, you can work with investors that are full-time investors, but it's really smart if you've got somebody that has a W-2 income in case you, you need somebody with a backup plan. Right, right. And that's one of one of the largest misconceptions, especially for newbie wholesalers getting started is I have to have this massive buyers list. I have to have mm -hmm. 2,000, 4,000, 20,000 buyers, but you just hit the nail on the head. You have four or five consistent mm -hmm. buyers that buy from you. Um, so that's one of the things that I always tell people is you don't have to have a huge list. You just have to have some consistent buyers. Um, so let's talk about how you did some of your marketing. Now, since you, you the light switch turned on about wholesaling. Mm -hmm. So now after that first deal and it was a success, what did you do after that? Well, I just kept on doing what I was doing. So remember, I tell people I'm like from the BI generation before the internet generation. So uh, when I had the home inspection company, that was in the days really before. So I opened that business in 1991. The internet was kind of getting started, but 
we were still, uh, we had to be what I call the, uh, what it was, guerrilla marketers. Mm-hmm. So we would go to real estate offices. We did direct mail back way back in 1991. And so when it was an easy transition for me, when I became a real estate investor, no matter what my strategy, I have always done direct mail. It was just a question of what my exit strategy was going to be. So I didn't do anything any differently. And, and as social, you know, as the world has evolved, you, you, we spoke about this earlier too, about social media. You, if you are active on social media, people kind of poo-poo that idea, but all kinds of good things happen on social media. I have met some of my best contacts, uh, business contacts on Facebook. Absolutely. Um, I know people that have gotten private lenders just because of their social media presence and the fact that they post their deals and um, I'm a real person, I'm really doing deals and you know, I, it's just a vast world out there and it is so much easier. But I still rely on the fact that direct mail has always been my number one source of leads. And that's interesting because now you hear a lot of people saying, hey, direct mail is dead, direct mail is dead. Um, And you just proved a point that, hey, from 1998 all the way to now, you're still using direct mail and evidently you're still in business. Yeah, and and I would say you use, you need to have, uh, I tell people you need to have three to five lead channels or ways to get deals. And I think direct mail should be one of them. Your website, which was something nobody had 20 years ago, uh, you, need, you need a website, a lead generation website. You need to be networking is probably one of the most underrated of all the marketing strategies. And that can be free, you know, or almost free. Maybe you pay for your re meeting, maybe you don't. Um, I'm a proponent of also belonging to at least one thing that's not real estate, just so that you get your name out there. And, and you know, people, if you get your name out there and somebody's uh, friend or relative has a house to sell, your name is just going to be present. But, you know, for other people, those other strategies might be um, driving for dollars uh, that some people are putting out um, door hangers and then you know, I'd rather just jump off a roof than cold call. <laughs> but, but there are people that are really good at cold calling. So you're going to either have to spend your time or your money when it comes to marketing. And usually it's a combination of both. But if you've got less money, you're going to have to do more labor intensive things that take your time, like cold calling, networking, driving for dollars. But if you've got little time, but you've got more money, then you can ramp up your direct mail. You can maybe pay somebody to help you out and get your website a, uh, a better presence, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, it's a balance. So you got to spend your time or your money or both. Yeah. And I, I'm a big proponent of using virtual assistants and I use them, you know, you can find them via upwork.com or freelancer.com or Fiverr. Um, so tell me about, because I know most wholesalers and real estate investors, they kind of go through this cycle of, where they may be thinking about giving up. Have you ever went through that um, psychological transition of saying, well, maybe I need to give up? Well, I I never really got that bad, but I got to tell you, it got pretty dicey in 2008. I had a moment where it was like, you know, what am I going to do with this house I just bought that I planned on rehabbing? And that's when I said, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, uh, double close on it. I'm not even just going to close on it. But yeah, that time was kind of scary because it was every, well, the whole world was on sale. Yeah. 
but nobody had a, could get a loan. So that's when I had to fall back on, that's really when it hit home to me that if you, you only need tops, four to six real buyers, and I call those really hardcore landlords, adding properties to the portfolios and rehabbers. Mm -hmm. And for me, uh, rehabbers were, well, I had uh, one rehabber that she, she held everything but you need those people to fall back on. And all it, all it was for me, I didn't feel like giving up, but I had to definitely change my business plan. And here was another thing to that. Because investors who were rehabbers didn't know if they were going to be able to actually sell the property, if, they, if somebody was gonna be able to get a loan, all of a sudden every property had to cash flow. Now we both know that not every property cash flows, they're, they're more retail sale. Absolutely. So my buyers, it came back to two things. I knew where my buyers wanted to buy. And I really, so when I would put a house in a contract, I would know who my buyer was going to be pretty, pretty confidently. Like I would know Marcus bought in the South side of Chicago mm -hmm. and, and this person over here bought in Oakbrook. So I wouldn't call the Oakbrook person for the South side of Chicago, you know, which just kind of common sense. Yep. But, um, I had to suddenly say, well, this house cash flow, if my end buyer cannot sell this house to a retail buyer, and my buyers educated me on this, then the house had to cash flow. So I actually, during that period of time, passed on some houses because they were just too iffy. Mm -hmm. You know, if they were not going to cash flow and people were going to, in this market, they would never pass on them, but in that market, they were going to pass right. on the houses. And that's very key um, as a wholesaler and as an investor, knowing what your in buyers are looking for and having multiple ways in order to provide that to them. So, hey, mm -hmm. if it doesn't, you know, if they can't finalize the flip or something like that, they can always generate income, passive income from it. So um, tell me, um, what was the biggest impact or which transaction was the biggest impact in your career? Was it that first one or was there another? Well, there were, there were a couple, but the first, my very first rehab was certainly one that educated me. I, I'm lucky to say knock on wood that I never lost money on a rehab. Uh, but in that case, the realtor made more money than I did because what I did, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Well, he came at me with a full price offer and uh, I had built in, it was a, wasn't a great big rehab. So it was, you know, a small, a smaller rehab with the smaller numbers. But then he hit me up with a first time home buyer loan and uh, paying all the closing costs, and all these concessions. And that was something I just didn't know what I didn't know. And okay. so uh, he kept saying, but it's a full price offer. Well, that was the last time I was ever bullied by a real estate oh, agent. Okay. So I knew going forward if to stand up and say, well, if we're going to do this, then we need this much money for the house. So that one was a, it was a hard lesson to learn, but watching his amount of money on the HUD one, because uh, he made the whole 6%, was mm. completely different than what was on my side of the HUD. So that was a, a pivotal moment in my uh, School of Hard Knocks education. But the second thing I did that I, I, I didn't really regret it, but I never did it again, was buying a great big old like uh, 
house in old Louisville that fell under the historic guidelines. Oh, and, okay. And I think everybody should maybe, if you want to do that, it's okay to do it once, but they are not the house you should be buying. You should be buying bread and butter, three bedroom brick ranches. So don't fall in love with this vision of, of a property. And then you've got the, uh, pre, uh, pre, the historic preservation people down your neck saying you can use these three paint colors and yep. you can't take that off the house. And you, you have to put back the original windows, which by the way, are very expensive custom windows. Uh, uh, it, it. <laughs> and it was, I thought I had tons of money. I did make money on the deal. Um, it was, there was so much pain in, involved in not knowing though, if it was going to actually sell afterwards, but um, I, I never did that again. Okay. So let's, um, now we have to touch on probate and mm. because you're the queen of probate. So how did you make that niche to be your niche? Well, again, it's, it's a case of, you know, I didn't know about probates for probably eight or 10 years when I, when I was investing. Um, I was very much just doing direct mail to different niches. But, and then I came across a probate by accident and I went, wait a minute, all these people have to, have to sell their houses? And I started researching it. And back when I started uh, something like 11 years ago, about the time I started full-time, I discovered probates. Marcus, there was no competition. I mean, almost none. People didn't know how to get the leads. They didn't know what to do with them. Um, I get a lot of mindset issues, which I, I talk about in my course, because people, mm -hmm. they say, I don't know how to talk to somebody about death. But there's, uh, so you have, you have to understand your mindset you have to fix your mindset first. And then you have to understand the other person's mindset. But what I would like people to know about probates is I think it's the best niche on the planet because sadly, you will never run out of leads. It's, it's not market dependent like REOs or you know, foreclosures, things like that. Like we're in a seller's market now and it's tougher to find deals that has absolutely zero effect when it's a probate. You know, these people have lost someone, someone's inherited a house, and on a, almost every case, they must sell the house to close the estate. So that's gotcha. the thing you need to remember. They must sell that house. They, they got to liquidate the estate. So investors, you know, this is a, and I've, I've been beating realtors over the head for a while now, Marcus, because this is a niche where realtors are completely missing the boat because I don't have any hard and fast figures, but I think somewhere probably around 15% or, or maybe 20 in some markets are sold to investors. The rest are listed and sold as retail sales. So with the strategy of a realtor showing up as an investor to try to buy the house, or even if they know that it's just a listing, it's a pretty mm -hmm. house. My gosh, if you can get to them before they get on the MLS, Right. You, you can get the you can get the listing or you can get the sale. It is an absolute gold mine for real estate agents. So now with with um, probate being your primary niche, I know there's quite a bit of moving parts. Uh, I did a couple of probate deals and I was like, Ooh, I don't know how Sharon does this. <laughs> um, but I know you have to deal with the attorney and things like that. So can you kind of just walk our listeners through, you know, if, probate is a niche that they would want to go into, you know, just kind of the 30,000 foot level view of how to get started with probates. 
Okay, so the, the hardest part about probates is finding the leads. And we talked a little bit about uh, you working back and forth in a, earlier uh, before the show about uh, Chicago and, uh, and a lot. So the hardest part is finding the leads. Now, if you're in Chicago, you have awesome online resources. Mm -hmm. If you're in Louisville, Kentucky, they're in the newspaper. Some places they're online. A lot of places people still have to go to the courthouse. So that's the number one reason why most people don't get started. They, they, to be blunt about it, they're simply too lazy to figure out how to get the leads. Gotcha. But from the 30,000 point view, you, you want to deal with the decision maker, and that's the executor or the administrator. So what happens in probate is someone passes away, and then the family uh, opens up the estate. Now, there will be a will. If there's a will, that's called the executor will be the decision maker. And that means that you or I chose that person, usually because we think they can do the job correctly. And if, no, if there is no will, then the judge is going to hold a court proceeding where he's going to appoint an administrator. So the executor and the administrator, the term is used interchangeably, a personal representative. So that person is the person who has the legal right to sell the property. Now, in most states, there are a couple of outlier states like California, but in most states, it works just like it works with any other transaction. Um, once the, the initial, and there are some steps that the attorneys do in this process in opening, they validate the will, they do mm -hmm. notify the heirs. You don't need to be concerned about that. As an investor, all you need to know is, that once the estate is open, in most cases, the, uh, they can sell the house. And it must be sold before, people get confused on this, before the estate's closed. So someone passes away, it, the, the decision maker is either has been chosen or they're appointed by the court, then the family can uh, sell the house. Once the house is sold, the creditors are paid. So any outstanding mortgages are paid, any debts are paid. The probate attorney is going to have his bill in there. So that the, the, everybody's paid and then the heirs are going to get what's left over. Okay. They get what's left over at the bottom. Then the estate is closed. So if you see one where the estate is closed, it's all over. Right. Now, when it comes to probate attorneys, I've never found them to be particularly helpful to investors because what they do, it's not their, their strength. Now, a real estate attorney is entirely different, but my advice is to avoid probate attorneys like the plague and try to go straight to the decision maker. Now, if you find yourself in the position of having to deal with an attorney, know what's going to happen here. They're going to pull up the tax assessor site. They've never seen the house. They're going to see it's worth $300,000 when actually it's worth one fifty because it needs $100,000 worth of repairs. So just know that you're going to get into that situation. Okay. So avoid the attorneys. But the other side of the coin is there's an opportunity as an investor just to market yourself to probate attorneys, not for a particular deal, but offered about 30 minutes of their time. You know, Okay. They're, they're busy people and they may or may not even actually charge you, but just say, I'd like to come in and introduce myself. I know your time is valuable. I'm offering to buy 30 minutes of your time. Get that face-to-face -face interaction with them. And then uh, they very probably have someone, an investor they work with. Just, we all know what happens in life. 
Time and circumstances change all things. So just say to them, you may have somebody for your really ugly houses. If you don't, I'm your guy or your gal. And if you have some you're working, someone you're working with and for whatever reason they can't uh, take this property, then call me. And you, you have made that networking face-to-face um, interaction with them. So you're not a business card on their desk and you're not a letter on their right. desk. So it goes back to relationships and networking. It's all relationships. So, so there are two sides. There's the side where you hope the attorney is in no way involved that you're uh-huh. just dealing with the, with the, with the family or the personal representative. And, but then there is the side where if you work probates and you look at these things as they come up, in my case, they will come up in the newspaper, you will see the same two or three names. There's really one guy in my city who is the guy. He is the guy that probably does 90% of them. He's the guy you want to know. Gotcha. You know? Because it, everybody will say on, if you look up attorneys, like um, let's say online, they all say they do wills and probate and, what, and all that. But there are not very many that actually specialize in probate. So how do you, for our listeners, how do you find that person that specializes in those probates? Do you go to the courthouse and identify that name that's constantly on every probate? If you, you, you could do that in my area, the probates are listed in the newspaper once a month. The ones that were opened last month are all listed in the newspaper and it has that information. So you'll see that person is listed as the executor. So in other words, they've been chosen through estate planning or whatever to be that person. But yeah, you could do it if you could look online in some areas uh, like Chicago, you can download the information. And it will say, you'll see that name. It will say who the uh, personal representative is. And you will see like the same name come up 20 times or 50 times. So you'll see a pat, you will see the pattern. Uh, It's a little bit harder if you're, God help you, if you're having to go to the courthouse and pull the files. Um, You can can buy leads. I'm not a fan because what I found is a lot of times they're actually working obituaries, which you never, never, never want to do because- Here, here's the thing about probates. People go, well, how do I know when it's time? Well, here's how you know. When someone passes away, it may be several months. It could even be a year since that time somebody passed away. When they open the estate, they are saying, we're ready to move forward. So that it doesn't matter when the actual person passed away. They understand that they have the business of settling the estate to attend to. So like if that were you, Marcus, you'd have your life, you'd have your wife, you'd have your charity work, you've got all your real estate and all of a sudden this is thrown in your lap. It's another job. And so they, I I tell people I've gotten more hugs at probate closings than any other type of deal. And that is true. They are so thankful you got them out of that mess because stop and think about it. If you've, if you've got kids and soccer games and jobs, and now you've got a house that needs fifty hundred thousand dollars worth of repairs, and you don't, you can't afford to do those repairs. Exactly. That investor is literally your savior. Mm-hmm. So, have you ever run across a deal that was, I don't know what they call it, but like in the pre-probate? So, I know, and I'm just speaking from experience, where we had a a person that was interested in selling a house. But it wasn't in the wheel. So um, 
I actually had to help them find a probate attorney. Have you ever had to go through something like that? Um, I've had people that you've had to, instead of tried to sell the sell a house that they didn't have a right to sell the house. So pre-probate, there really isn't such a thing except that the house has not been gone through probate. If, gotcha. if someone passes away and their name is on the title, it has to go through some sort, go through a legal proceeding because only the person who's passed away can sell the house. Sell the house, okay. So that you have to go through the process some way, somehow. Now, um, I had a student in Tulsa and they had a rule there that after so many years, maybe it was three years, I don't remember exactly, if, if the family hadn't opened up the probate in a certain amount of years, then they had an expedited process whereby you could put the house the house would go through probate but here was the real kicker so my student he put the house under contract and they had a legal and binding contract just like a, a normal sales and purchase contract but and it had to go to the court and on the day the judge was going to make a ruling anybody else could walk in there and they could hear that um, marcus made an offer for fifty thousand on that house and sharon could say I'll offer 52 oh, and really? right then and there. Yes. On that day, if you could actually not really have a contract because somebody could come in behind you and offer more. I've never, ever heard of that. Wow. But yeah, but that was a case of a, of a probate that never went through, but uh, some cities have, um, or states, it'll be a state new rule. They'll have a process. And if you, if you're going to work in process in probates, you should really Google like probates Phoenix, Arizona or Arizona and find out what the, if there's any glitches, because God help you if you're in California, because they do all kinds of weird things like they do different things in California. Yeah, it's, it's not <laughs> as easy here. It's just really as simple as you put the house under contract. I send it immediately over to my um, closing attorney. He will, your closing attorney will find out if the, if the house can be sold or not. And he will come back on rare occasions. They'll come back and say, look, they didn't. That family was attempting to do this themselves because you can go to the courthouse and get the paperwork. Let's say you don't have the money or there's not really any money in the estate to pay an attorney. You can go to the probate court or to the courthouse and get the forms. But if you don't do things in the exact right order, chances are you're going to start over. You're going to, the family's going to do it wrong. And I had one one time that went five months. So here, here's my best tip. It was, uh, you know, you always put in there that we'll close in X number of days. So here's the verbiage people need to put in their contract for probates. You need to say, for instance, um, closing will occur. I usually put no sooner than 10 days, no longer than 30 days or 40 days. I usually string it out a little bit for probates upon court slash attorney approval. So what that does, so closing will be no sooner than 10 days, no longer than we'll say 30 days upon court slash attorney approval. What that does is it gives you an open-ended contract. So if you just say we're gonna close in 30 days and then the probate's still hanging on, I had to keep going back to that seller and getting an, an extension. Gotcha. And Every time I ran the risk of somebody overbidding me by $500. Mm -hmm. 
So don't do, don't do what I did. That's, that's something I figured out the hard way, but you leave it open. And then when actually they call you and say, everything's done, we're, we're good to close. Then you, you, then your timeline starts, but I've always got a buyer lined up from the beginning. And if you're working with real investors like a Marcus and you say, look, this has hit a glitch and it may not close for a couple of months. He's going to say, I'm good with that. Yep. Just, yep. But if you're, dealing with a one-off investor that needs a deal to this week to pay the mortgage at the end of the month, it's not going to work for mm -hmm. them. But you're not going to care if you've got a sure thing coming down the pike in two months. As long as, as, long as you are upfront with that investor, they're not going to care. Okay. So tell me about, I know you have this awesome podcast. Mm -hmm. um, so tell me about the Louisville Gal podcast and, some of your guests and what you're doing with that podcast. Well, I've got, I started in 2010 with a blog, the Louisville Gals real estate blog, which obviously you, you can tell I knew absolutely nothing about naming anything in 2010. <laughs> so, uh, but I've had the blog now. So for, uh, since 2010 and long about 2013, I started a podcast called let's talk real estate investing but you can go over to the blog and you can link off of there. You know, you can listen on most everything, um, Apple podcasts, Stitcher, uh, okay. whatever, however you want to listen. But I have a mix of interviews and teaching shows, marketing tips, and uh, just uh, there's a lot of stuff over there, Marcus. Okay. And I know one of the things that you have over there is the probate investing simplified course that you have. Mm -hmm. So kind of introduce that to us. I do. After working in probates uh, for so long in um, 10 years, I decided to write a course because I got so many requests for information. And it's, you, you mentioned that it was just so hard. And really, it, when you know how it flows and you understand the process there it's not it's really not that hard but you need to i tell people if you take my course you can show up as the expert in six weeks and that is a promise that i make because as boring as it sounds you have to learn the terminology you have to learn to speak their language if they say letters of testamentary you've got to know what that is if they they say you know some term you it's just a matter of educating yourself so that you can show up as the expert. But I talk about your mindset. I talk about their mindset, about where they are. And I talk a lot. And I, in my course, I go through all the basics. I share the entire roadmap. But the, really, the, the big piece of the course is the marketing piece. I have um, a complete set of letters for investors, a complete set of letters for real estate agents. Wow, that's big. I tell you, so I have a direct mail bonus and you can use that direct mail bonus to market to any, any group of sellers It's because direct mail at the end of the day is direct mail, but you get the tailor made version for probates. So you start out, you go through, learn the process, learn the terminology. And, uh, you know, we talk about CRMs and all, all of the things that are the necessary evils. But the big thing you need to learn about probates is about creating a nurturing series of letters that basically says, you know, uh, you have to acknowledge that this is a tough time for them. And uh, mm -hmm. I'll be here when you're ready to sell. That's so you can't use the standard boilerplate. Hey, I'm Marcus Maloney. I want to buy your house. 
no, no, you really can't. And it's, um, you know, the letters are all very similar, but there'll be, there's the letter one, I have a, I call it the condolences and the no condolences version, because some people say, I don't want to even talk about it. Mm -hmm. And I'm here to tell you, they're going to say, how did you find out about my situation? So for me, I'd rather just send that condolences letter one time and acknowledge that they have a house uh, that they're going to want to sell at some time and that they have a lot on their plate right now and that um, I'll be there, I'll be ready to help them when they're ready. And, uh, you know, so there are other things you can put in there, like you can offer to clean out the house for them. That's a big stumbling block for these folks. Because yep. a lot of times their loved one is, has 10,000 butter tubs and mm -hmm. National Geographic. So, <laughs> you know, it's a, bit, it's a big hot mess and, and they're embarrassed by it. But so if they know that you can help them do that, that's a big plus. But... I'll have people that'll call me, you know, down, as you get down the road, you might even say, uh, you know, I've been sending letters to you for a few months now, wanting to see how the estate's coming along, but it's very low key, very nurturing. Okay. Um, nothing high pressure. They, they need to, and people say, well, why can't I just jump in and mail a letter in six months if it's going to take them um, a year? You can't do that because you have to start to build that know, like, and trust thing with them. Gotcha. They, ha they have to know that you are real, that you're a real professional, and that you're, you have their best interest at heart. Okay. So now, final question. Um, starting over, if you had the opportunity to start over back in 1998, I believe it was, mm -hmm. what would you do different? Or is there anything that you would do different? There, there is one thing that I would definitely do different, um, and that has to do with branding. You think when you're just starting out, it's not important to be thinking about branding, but you should be thinking about your brand about building your brand from day one because by the time you need your brand and then you have to start um you know so what let's talk about your brand you've built your brand through youtube videos you build your brand when you go to your ria meeting they know who you are you have to be very purposeful about it because if you don't build your brand then you'll you will be known for what other people say about you so you have to, that's probably the biggest mistake I made was getting down the road some years and then going, okay, people, they know my name, but they don't really, I haven't purposely built a brand around that. And even though you're doing your first deal, you need to be conscious. And I'm not talking about just the physical aspects of your brand. That's important, you know, your, the physical attributes, but the real thing at the end of the day your brand is the way people feel about you. And more importantly, it's what they say about you when they, when you leave the room. So gotcha. that's what you want to build that, uh, how you want to be seen. And that's what I mean by your brand. Okay. Okay. Well, sounds good. Branding is definitely important. And I know you have touched quite a few lives, Sharon, by working in that specific niche of probate. So tell us how can we reach you? How can we find you? Um, for our listeners, the best way is just to go over to the blog. Uh, you can, I'm, a, you know, I've got the standard Facebook is Sharon. Everything's at Sharon Bornholt, but uh, I would go over to the Louisville Gals Real Estate blog. It's a hub for me. You can get the podcast from there. I've got some awesome freebies. I have a probate investing starter kit over there that's completely free. 
I also have the marketing plan template that I use with my private clients. I've just put that up there completely free for uh, probably about a week or two ago. So you can, I'm really big on uh, having a marketing plan. It's kind of like having a, taking a trip without a map or a GPS. You're just not going to get there if you don't plan it out. Very true. Very true. Well, Sharon, I want to thank you. Guys, you can always find all of Sharon's contact information in the show notes below. And Sharon, again, I want to thank you. And it was my honor and my pleasure to have the uh, probate queen here on our show. <laughs> well, thank you for having me, Marcus. It was great fun. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you for listening to today's show. I picked up some great actionable items and I'm sure you did as well. If so, let me know. You can always reach me via social media at facebook.com slash MRCS Maloney, Twitter at MRCS Maloney, and of course, IG at MRCS Maloney. You can also always reach me via email at mmaloney at equityri.com. Make sure you reach out to our guest as well. You can always find their contact information in the show notes below. If you have not subscribed already, what are you waiting for? Join the family. And while you're at it, leave us a five-star review. This is how we tell if we're providing you with what you need for your journey. If there's someone you would like for me to interview, or if there's a subject matter you would like for me to cover, please let me know. Finally, if you're looking for additional information about real estate investing, go to equityrealestateblog.com, also youtube.com slash Marcus Maloney. Until next time, family, always enjoy the journey.